Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 29th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 110. We're in the first full paragraph beginning with four, you may have a husband of whom you completely despair. Today's readers are Helena, Marsha, Paula, and Eddie. The reference number for Monday, January 28th is 3772. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Rose to read the 12 steps. This is Rose, a grateful compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message 
to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Rose. I will now ask Marietta to read the 12 Traditions. Hi, this is Marietta uh, from Virginia and the 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. Our loving God is he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence our OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And this is Marietta, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Marietta. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book we're on page 110, the first full paragraph that begins with four, you may have a husband of whom you completely despair. And I will ask Elena to begin reading, please. Good morning. Four, you may have a husband of whom you completely despair. He has been placed in one institution after another. He is violent or appears definitely insane when drunk. Sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital. Perhaps he has had delirium tremens. Doctors may shake their heads and advise you to have him committed. Maybe you have already been obliged to put him away. This picture may not be as dark as it looks. 
Many of our husbands were just as far gone, yet they got well. I'd like to share briefly on this. Um, I'm remembering always that this is written to wives. And so when I read these, I'm reading it with uh, two thoughts in my mind. One is the um, agony and suffering that I put others through and the agony and the suffering that I went through myself in my days of active addiction. And yet at the end of this paragraph, it says, there is hope. Many people do recovery, even when they've gotten this far. Um, The other thing I'm noticing is that the wife here is in complete despair, a husband of whom you completely despair. And yet her despair and her suffering is of no avail until the sufferer, the alcoholic, the person in active addiction himself completely despairs and finds a solution. And difficult as it is, until that point comes, there's really nothing that we can do. Pass. Thank you, Helena. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Nancy. May I share? Yes, you may. Go ahead, Nancy. Yes, hi. Yeah, I've been I'm in recovery quite a while, and I w- was one of the wives married to a fellow who uh, did get violent. And you know, I put in ten years. You know, and always, always when I read this chapter about the wives, I always get kind of guilty because I think to myself, maybe I didn't do enough, but I had to leave. And that's my message. You have to take care of yourself. You pray for the sick person. You pray they get well. And I still have done a lot of work. I have forgiveness in my heart. And I pray for him. But I have to take care of myself and my children. So that's all I wanted to share today. And I really do pray for all the people who, who are out there and suffer. But if, if you don't want to get well, no power in the world can get you well. No person can get you well. It's up to God. And he has his own journey. And I really do pray for him every day to be blessed and to be taken care of and to be happy and to be saved. In the meantime, I had to get out of the way because it wasn't me that he was striking out at. It was just his disease. But we have to take care of ourselves. So that's all I have to say. And one day at a time, I'll try to uh, stay in recovery. And I thank you for letting me share. This is Paula Mashia. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. You know, this does seem to be a very bleak, dark picture here that we see, and I don't think we dispute that. But then we come to the end of what this picture, this this paragraph says. It says this picture may not be as dark as it looks. Well, geez, I don't know. It looks pretty dark there. But then we go to page 8, and what does it say? It says clearly, and here Bill W. is talking, how dark it is before the dawn. Is that not the truth? Before we see the glimmer of light, it is so dark. And then what does he say? In reality, this was the beginning of my last day bunch. I don't know what it is for anyone. I don't know what the beginning or the end is. 
God only knows. As was said, I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. But I'm going to go back here where we were. Now we're in the dark time here. But then it says many of our husbands, and that's us following, were just as far gone as that dark picture. But hear the hope, yet. What does the word yet mean? Up to now. Up to that point. And then there's the hope. They got well. And as was said, God only, with the willingness we bring, but the willingness has to be a big part of it. And this is what is happening here, the willingness on the part of the wife, the willingness on part of the alcoholic. And as funny as we look at this and we see, oh, how we suffered, the alcoholic suffered. Oh, no. All suffer. All suffer. The alcoholic can at times numb themselves into oblivion. Not the wife. Not the one that lives with. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this particular paragraph? Good morning, it's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Um, Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Chapter 8 to the wives, it's uh, giving some instruction and and just uh, teaching the wives about the progression of the disease of alcoholism obviously this is describing stage four in the progression you may have a husband of whom you completely despair he has been placed in one institution after another he is violent or appears definitely insane when drunk sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital perhaps he has had delirium tremens Again, uh, this is the progression of the illness. We're reading about alcoholism, but we can equate it certainly to compulsive overeating because, you know, addiction of either alcoholism or compulsive overeating leads to physical diseases. It leads to emotional turmoil. It leads to mental torture. It leads to spiritual bankruptcy. And it rips and roars its way, much like a tornado, through people's lives, the people who love us, the people that care for us. It engulfs their lives as well. Uh, Sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital. If you want to think that this only happens to alcoholics, so not true. You know, a dear friend of mine who was admitted at 550 pounds and spent many weeks in the hospital uh, upon his discharge pulled out a $10 bill and bought some donuts for the ride home. So, I mean, that is the nature of this beast. That is the nature of this disease whether we're talking about alcoholism, whether we're talking about compulsive overeating, the alcoholic bows to the demands of the disease. The, the, the illness makes decisions for the alcoholic. It's not the other way around. You always have to pay the piper. But look at the, look at the paragraph. I mean, okay, after we're reading about the progression and after we're reading about the isolation and the deep depression and the suicidal thinking that comes with this illness, it says... This picture may not be as dark as it looks. I mean, that's pretty dark, but this picture may not be as dark as it looks. Many of our husbands were just as far gone. Here's a message of hope for the wives. Here's a message of hope for the wives. 
yet they got well. This is why AA grew by leaps and bounds. Two primary reasons. Number one, these alcoholics who seemed doomed got sober and they stayed sober. Even after going to these lengths in the illness, they got sober and they stayed sober. And number two, their families were reunited. That's why there's a message of hope here. This picture may not be as dark as it looks. Many of our husbands were just as far gone, yet they got well because there's a way out. Because there's a way that you don't have to live this way anymore. You know, I'm thinking about the doctor's opinion when, it's, when it describes the uh, length and the progression to which this disease takes us, and then it says, and then it says, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change, there's that spiritual awakening we're all after, right? Once that psychic change occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. So that's a message from hopelessness to hope. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? I would, Christy. This is Linda from Connecticut. Linda, go ahead. Good morning, dear. Um, it's almost with embarrassment, but I'm going to skip that part, that I say um, I met all of those qualifications, the the fourth uh, category there. Uh, I, I was an atheist. I didn't want to be, but I couldn't find God. Um, I had nervous breakdown after nervous breakdown, and it was based, I didn't know it, in this disease, and it was the feeling of there's something wrong and it's my fault, a deep, deep shame and a deep uh, self-hatred, and these steps work, and I'm hoping that this will give some kind of hope to someone or someone's out there that thinks they're too far gone because I'm not nuts anymore. I'm quite charming. And I'm quite happy, despite a life where I have, you know, challenges and I'm growing and thanks largely to uh, to this meeting. Uh, but, of course, to God, to the 12 steps. So um, even if you're in the fourth category yourself, hang on, get in the lifeboat because those steps really work. Thanks. Thank you, Linda. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered... Oh, Katie, go ahead. You go ahead, and then I'll share. I'm sorry. I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater. Um, and these these four categories, I think of them as a, a, a hurricane, you know. <laughs> How bad is it going to be? Sometimes the category one, you know, you still hear about for years, and sometimes you don't even know it passed. But I think it's... Um, it, it, these, these four stages, it's like, um, you know... <laughs> If your husband doesn't get it, if, you know, if the other person doesn't get it after uh, and they're at level three, well, then there's hope if they get to level four. There is no one that is too far gone. And it's that way with us. You know, we, we may work with someone for a long time and, and then, you know, they go back out. And when they go back out, you know what? They end up at number four before they even can 
can realize what has hit them because this is a progressive disease. Um, it's very sad to me that some people can, can you know, just keep staying at this stage two and stage three. Like they just keep thinking there's got to be another way and, and keep trying and trying and trying for the easier, softer way. But this husband number four is on death's door. And, you know, that is, um, that really is a good place to be because um, this program of recovery can pick them up and turn them around and start walking a completely different direction. And that's what we have to do. We can't keep one foot in um, our old way of life and one foot in the room. Uh, That's what is uh, referred to in earlier pages, I'm not the, the close the page kind of person, um, you know, that half measures avail us nothing. They avail us nothing. Um, we get to the point where, you know, if you think that there's an easier, softer way, then you're on your way out the door. And so, you know, I have to remember where I was. I have to remember what it was like when I could not put 10 minutes of abstinence together, when I could not get the mental obsession to be relieved except maybe when I was sleeping. And if I forget that, then I'm just going to go out and become, you know, see how far gone I can be. And, you know, many of us uh, go into insanity or death, and that's where I was headed. You know, I didn't go into one institution after another because I didn't have the means to do so. But it certainly was suggested to me that I go to an institution because I was, uh, you know, binging day in and day out, and my life was getting smaller and smaller and smaller uh, because there was just nothing. <laughs> my life was all about eating. And, you know, I'm a high-functioning woman now, and that is not because of how smart I am. It's because of the grace of this program and my higher power. So it doesn't matter how many times you've walked through these doors. It doesn't matter how many times you've said, you know, I'm asking for a sponsor. Today may be your day when you actually do surrender. And so, um, you know, I'm grateful that they describe all these things and say, yes, um, this may not be as dark as it looks. They got well. That's how they passed. Thank you, Katie. I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, um, you know, I mean, thank goodness today I can, I'm looking at this from the outside. I'm not in category four anymore. I was, I was one of those people who um, was just as far gone and have gotten well through the grace of this program. I mean, it is nothing short of a miracle today that I have been abstinent no matter what, no matter what to all life has to offer from September 9th of 2001, without exception, back to back. And I am so grateful for that because I came into this program completely hopeless. And I will tell you that, you know, I didn't start out as a Category 4, but that is where I ended up. That is where I ended up. And uh, what I know about myself today is that that's where I'd go back. That is where I'd go back. You know, I can't imagine the depths of despair I'd have to get to again if I went back out 
and that keeps me abstinent today. You know, that the thought of going back to that and knowing what it took for me to finally get into recovery. You know, I'd been introduced. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd been, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll just describe just a little bit, you know, in the interest of time here. I could go on for hours, but, um, you know, when I... When I, you know, I'd been in a relationship for 13 years, and when I got into that relationship, you know, I was attractive, I was feeling good about myself because I had um, lost weight after gaining it, lost weight, snagged a partner, and um, became a complete crazy person within short order because I did not know how to deal with life. I did not know how to be in relationships. I did not know how to be in the world with other people except to eat. That's what got me through. And, you know, I picked up the food pretty shortly after I got into that relationship. And it was a roller coaster ride that you could not get off if you were with me. And, you know, I remember one time in particular where I'd gone, I'd walked into a fast food restaurant with my partner. I said, I've got to go. Let's go here. Um, the line was too long in the drive-thru. I said, we've got to go in. I went in and I was standing there feeling self-conscious because I weighed over 300 pounds and I could not decide what it was that was going to fill that hole. You know, what is it that's going to satisfy that craving? And I stood there forever. And I got so, I was so angry. You know, my partner was saying, you know, what, is, what do you want? And it's like, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. And I got angry and I said, we've got to leave. After begging to go to this place, I mean, I was so crazy. I was so crazy. And that's just one example of thousands, you know, on the roller coaster ride of being abstinent for 10 minutes and then not being abstinent and, you know, saying I was having a little trouble with abstinence when I finally got into the rooms of OA and being in full-blown relapse. I was so crazy until I finally said, I can't do this anymore. I need help. I need to, I need to get into recovery and I need to take it seriously. And I'll paraphrase, paraphrase what my partner said. She said, I thought you hated those people. And I said, I do. I do hate those people, but I need help. And um, that was the beginning of the end of my, you know, the progression of my disease. I came into recovery. I threw myself into recovery. I put the food down, and I started working on the steps as outlined in this big book. And today, thank God, you know, I've been maintaining my weight for almost 10 years, um, and, you know, I've, I, you know, when I first got into recovery, I was 170 pounds overweight, and if it can happen for someone like me, it can happen for anybody, and with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to comment on this particular paragraph? This is Margaret. It's Monica. Um, Margaret, I heard Monica, and I think someone else. How about you go ahead, Margaret, and then uh, Monica. Oh, good morning. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret Recovered in, in New Jersey. I just want to say this is the fourth, um, you know, it says, you know, where, where they are really at the end. And I used to always think, I'm not that bad. I'm just not that bad. And, you know, finally I woke up. I don't have to get that bad. I was always identifying myself out because I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Well, you know, I finally saw the handwriting on the wall, and believe me, it, that was in me to do all of those things. 
But thank God, because you people share these things today, and I know where this disease will take me. I don't have to maybe go quite so far down, but I have it. I have the same thing, and I can recover. I mean, I can recover day in and day out from this disease because people every day tell me every day, and I believe them, that this can get worse, that this absolutely can get worse than it is. And believe me, what I realized was it's bad enough. You know, what I was living with was bad enough. Maybe I didn't lose everything. Maybe I didn't lose relationships. And maybe I didn't do this. But my head, my poor little head was just crazy obsessing in and out of this disease for years. So I just want to encourage people, too, that, you know, to think that, oh, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. You don't have to. You know, you don't have to. You can pick up these tools and these spiritual principles and turn the other way and walk with us out of this absolute maze, this, uh, this thing that entangles us from beginning to end. And there's a way out. That's the thing I want to say, as we all say every day to every one of us on the thing, thank God there is a way out. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Monica, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And uh, basically, just a little review here, you know, we are in the chapter two wives. And here we are reading about the four different um, types of stages of alcoholism here. And just teaching us and showing us the progression of this disease. And ours is the same. And here in four, it seems pretty, pretty bleak here. You know, we're seeing the last signs of alcoholism going on here with this man. But then I love the hope, and, and Leah also said talked about this. This picture may not be as dark as it looks. Many of our husbands were just as far gone, yet they got well. And that yet jumped out at me here this morning. Yet, you're eligible too. And what, do, what does that mean? You know, good news here. You can choose to do differently. You know, like Bill, he was at the bottom. He was at level four when he ended up in the hospital there for that last time. And what did he do? You know, steps one, two, and three. And I realized that he was powerless, that this had him by the throat. And two, that you know, my way is just not doing it. It is, I have absolutely no control here. This disease is controlling me. And three, God help me. And we know what happened to him. You know, he had a spiritual experience. So, yet, you're eligible to. Don't give up. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to share on this particular paragraph? You need to press star one to unmute. Yes, hi, this is Gwen. Gwen, go ahead. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Gwen. Uh, I am, re- uh, well, I'm working towards recovery from compulsive overeating. And um, this paragraph helps me be more awareness to my partner. Her, um, her mother died from uh, illnesses related to compulsive overeating and um, including diabetes and stroke, and she never did anything about it. It was as dark as it looked. And so 
I will basically, um, because I really know about the insanity, when I'm preparing for a paper presentation or I'm writing or I have to present at a conference, I make sure to be straight and not be overeating. And, you know, because I know that I will lose my focus and clarity and clothes won't fit. And um, I had an incident last uh, last year, and this happened a few times, where as soon as I finished the, the presentation and people said to me, great job, great job, blah, 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 uh, we, we would go out, my partner and I would go out, and she would see me categorically go on a rampage binge. And she would say, Gwen, why do you have to do this to yourself? Why do you treat yourself this way? Um, and why don't, why aren't you good to yourself? And I said, this is being good to myself. You don't understand. This is being good to myself. I need a reward. I need a reward. This is rewarding me. I've been deprived. I've been deprived. I've worked so hard. And on and on and on and on. And, um, I just want to say that, um, she could do nothing because she would say, uh, she would eat whenever I needed to eat. Um, I'm hypoglycemic. Eat whatever I ate. She would share my, quote, diet foods. Share it with me. Whatever she could do. And you know what? No matter how she tried, because of my addict ways, I would defeat her. I would defeat her and traumatize her because what she would see is her mother who's going to die, who's going to kill herself, and who she's going to have to take care of because I'm going to get sick too. I'm going to get sick too. And all I really want to say is nobody can help us until we're willing to help ourselves and to let God in. And I know now that abstinence from sugar and white flour and I've added gluten is not, is not, it's not, it's not the way in. It's, it's for me allowing God and having faith that there is a higher power, someone even higher than me, even higher than me for goodness sake to lead the way. And um, until you get to that place, it's it's really hard to it's really hard to go all the way from my experience. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Gwen. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph before we move on to the next one? Um, you'll, I don't know who, I can hear background noise. Can you make sure you mute your phone? Press star one to mute and unmute. Well, let's move on to the next paragraph. Uh, Marsha, would you please read for us? Okay. Hi, I'm Marsha. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Thank you, God. Now let's go back to husband number one. Oddly enough, he is often difficult to deal with. He enjoys drinking. It stirs his imagination. His friends feel closer over a highball. Perhaps you enjoy drinking with him yourself when he doesn't go too far. You have passed happy evenings together chatting and drinking before your fire. Perhaps you both like parties, which would be dull without liquor. We have enjoyed such evenings ourselves. We had a good time. We know all about liquor as a social lubricant. Some, but not all of us, think it has its advantages when reasonably used. I'll stop there. Um, when I think about this, I think about 
um, parties and food and uh, and and I think about going back to husband number one. I think of myself as husband number one pre-teen before I was a teenager because I think by the time I was a teenager I turned into step two. But um, you know, food was fun for me. I loved food. I loved, I enjoyed food and I enjoyed life. I was I had a great childhood. Um, it just mm-hmm. happened to be dotted. Marsha, we can't hear you. Marsha, are you there? We'll catch up with Marsha hopefully in a minute. Is there anyone who would like to share on this particular paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Hi, this is Sarah. Can I share? Um, we're going to start with Kim, and then did I hear Nancy? Sarah? Okay, how about Kim and then Sarah? Hi, it's Nancy. I don't know, you want me to wait? Oh, uh, Yeah, we'll have Kim, Sarah, and Nancy. So you go ahead, oh, Kim. Thanks, all Thanks, Christy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive over here from South Jersey. Now let's go back to husband number one. So let me just read you to husband number one. He's the heavy drinker. He's the one that might drink a little bit too much on certain occasions. He may be slowing him up mentally and physically, but he does not see it. He is positive he can handle his liquor and that it does him no harm. His world is full of people like him. So at this point, the drink is working for him. It says he enjoys his drinking. Parties would be dull without liquor. Liquor as a social lubricant. You know, so this is the point where he's indulging, but it's still working for him. And this reminds me of Bill's story. I'm going to read about Bill because it talks about Lois in this a little bit. It says, potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly found my law course. I won the finals. I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks and I would still her foreboding by telling her that the men of genius conceive their best projects while drunk. That the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. You know, so at this point, the wife can't really convince the husband there's a problem. He doesn't see there's a problem. You know, once in a while he might get too tight. But for the most part, it's fun. And for the most part, the wife is enjoying it with him. And like Marsha, I, I have to go back to when I'm much younger. I think with us compulsive overeaters, this stage one might be when we're young children. You know, and I think back to, you know, when, when I was a young girl, and I got, I was all county in basketball. And then two years later, I'm cut from the team. And I asked my coach, why did you cut me? He's like, well, if you lose 20, 30 pounds, well, you can come back. Oh, I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to give up my eating. Yeah, it's taking basketball away from me, but I don't want to give up my eating. It's still working for me. You know, so what do I do? I get a, I get a job at the mall and I start eating at the food court. You know, and I'm, I'm a young girl and I want to date. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to date when you're heavy. But you know what? The food is fun. I'm still having fun going to the movies and binging with my friends. I'm having fun going out to, to ice cream places after, after going to the mall with my friends. So it's hard to convince. The wife is saying, don't you see it's too much? Don't you see you're seeing some consequences? But the husband is saying, no, it's still fun. Come on, you're enjoying yourself with me. You know, my friends were beginning to say, Kim, 
you're gaining some weight, you're starting to, you're starting to not, you know, your basketball was taken away from you. You know, but I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. My parents started to get concerned. You know, well, Kim, if, if you don't, if you keep gaining weight at this rate, what's going to happen two or three years from now? Who cares about two or three years from now when you're 16? You just know it's working now. And that's what the wife is dealing with. That's why it says in there, this is a difficult person to deal with. Because at this point, there's consequences, but the enjoyment and what the alcoholic is getting out of it far outweighs what the consequences are at this point. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Sarah, go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Sarah, compulsive overeater, and I just totally see, um, you know, like Kim was saying, how this could seem like also like in childhood. Perhaps you enjoy drinking with him yourself when he doesn't go too far. So, you know, for me, I, I never got to the point, I, you know, I'm one of those high-bottom people, so I could totally see myself um, at stage number, you know, um, drinker number three or, or four when I was still drinker number one or two and, you know, eater number one or two. And and it, the difference, I think, for me, when I how I understand this is that the the distinction between a regular person who can, you know, maybe eat too much on the holidays but can walk away from it and, like, knows that they can eat and just, you know, walk away and, and, and they don't think about it because it was a holiday and whatever. The difference between them and the compulsive overeater is that when the compulsive overeater overeats on those, you know, rare occasions, it stays with them and it stays with them and the obsession of the mind, even when the food is not being eaten, persists and persists and persists and it persists on their image and it persists on when they're going to get their next fix and it persists on their whole emotional mechanism the whole i mean i'm not i'm not going to talk about everybody else's but for me this is what it did to me it completely consumed my mind that food whether i was eating it or not was consuming my my psyche and it, my whole life was revolving around food so even if i wasn't eating it it was consuming my life and whether it was because I was hiding from the rest of life or because for whatever reason, but it was even if the food is not something that um, that gets ingested all the time and is not driving, it didn't drive me to 300 pounds, but it drove me to... Um, to the to the pleasure seeking of you know when am I the seeking that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once, but it didn't. But even if it's not all the time, what happens? For, you know what I'm understanding in this paragraph is that perhaps you enjoy drinking with him yourself when he doesn't go too far. It's so easy to enable a person who who doesn't seem like they're a compulsive overeater who just, you know, at the wedding indulges too much and no one knows what goes on in that mind. And it really takes, you know, brutal honesty to be able to see yourself. If, let's say, you are that person who doesn't, who's not 300 pounds, let's say you're the newcomer and you don't have, you know, over 100 pounds to lose, but your mind, you only overeat sometimes, but your mind is still thinking about that food for two weeks 
or the week before or the week after, and you're still thinking about that food and, you know, going to the wedding or going to that party just for the food. So then, you know, it's just, for me, it helps me see myself and perhaps other people in my life to, you know, to just know, to know who you are, to just know who you are. And then if you don't know that you have a problem, you can't solve it. And I feel so I feel so grateful and thankful to God that I'm that I was able to see before I you know that I was able to see the nature of my illness still at these early stages. So thank you with that I'll pass. Thank you Sarah. Nancy go ahead. Hi, it's Nancy, compulsive overeater. I just like to say that um I'm so blessed that I have this program. And that's where the hope is. The hope is in this, once you are introduced to the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of this program, we have a life. And that gives us hope. Because it's the only thing that works. Because for me, no amount of religion, no amount of exercise, no amount of therapy outside the rooms could take care of my addiction. And... We learn how to think clearly and logically. So in regard to any kind of situation that may be uncomfortable, we're taught to remove ourselves from it. And in removing ourselves from that situation, that situation could even get better without us in the picture. As long as we take care of ourselves, we do the will of our higher power, our God, then we can have a beautiful life. And that's really where the hope is, and it's the truth. But you don't have to suffer because we're not that powerful to cure anybody else. We didn't create it. We can't control it. And we can't cure it. And I do have love and hope in my heart. Every time I walk into a meeting or hear something from somebody else from this room, it helps me so much. And I thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Patricia. May I share? Sure, Patricia. Go ahead. I just wanted to share. Oh, this is a really good, good paragraph for me, um, because it he is often difficult to deal with. Okay, because for me, when I was when I was in my addiction, I would be happy, and then if I started eating things that I knew, because see, I I started in OA way back in the eighties, so. Um, that sugar and flour, when I was on the program of, of one of the, you know, OA programs where they said no sugar and flour, and I went without that for two years, and I didn't, and I lost all my weight, and blah, blah, blah. And then my, then my disease told me I didn't have a disease, and those people don't know what they're talking about. And of course you can eat this. Look at, look at you. You haven't had that, and there's nothing wrong with you. You haven't had that sugar and stuff. There's nothing wrong with you. Look, <laughs> how twisted is that? But anyways, but 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 then when I ate it, when I ate, when I went out to parties and stuff, um, and we know all about liquor. It is a social lubricant. We know all about food because I went to church and everybody ate. All the time there was always some kind of dinners and, and whatever, baptisms, whatever. And they always had food. Any place I went there was always food. And that to me is a social 
um, lubricant. It's a social lubricant. Everybody eats, oh, what recipe is this? Oh, who made that? You know, everyone can talk to people that you wouldn't normally talk to, you know. Um, so for me, the food was like the the relaxing, the, the relaxing. But but in, in the same mouthful, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm not supposed to eat this. Um, I shouldn't have this. You know, and if I was staying away from this, I was trying to be absent, then somebody else would, oh, did you try the cake? Or, oh, did you try this? You know, no, I can't eat that. What do you mean you can't eat that? <laughs> so, so it was always this crazy going on in my head, you know, and then a lot of times it would get me frustrated, and then I would, like, snap at my husband, and he'd be like, where'd that come from? And it was because of that, that mental you know, obsession going on in my mind. You can't eat that. It's going to make you fat. You're not supposed to eat that. You know, um, oh, what the heck, eat it anyways. You know, this crazy going on. So so it was always, um, always never a, a, just a peaceful peaceful thing like I have now. I eat my meals and, and, and then, I, then I can live life because now I have my, my plan of eating and now I can live and enjoy life and I don't need the food for social lubricant. I can go talk to somebody now and that's a strange thing for me. I can actually talk to people. Hi, how are you, you know? Anyways, thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Patricia. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? It's Leia. Leia, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, just to head back to the paragraph here, perhaps you enjoy drinking with him yourself when he doesn't go too far. Again, Chapter 8, to the wives, instruction, and just allowing the wives to identify in uh, with the alcoholic process so that they understand the progression um, of the disease of alcoholism so they can identify in like these people know what they're talking about these wives this is essentially a 12-step call by wives of alcoholics on wives of alcoholics so just like you and i those of us that are recovered we share our stories with suffering compulsive overeaters so that they can identify in these wives are sharing their history with their alcoholic husband with these wives that they can identify in so it says perhaps you enjoy drinking with him yourself when he doesn't go too far again you know uh when he doesn't go too far as if we make the decisions for the disease (laughs) see it doesn't work that way in this disease of addiction In this disease of addiction, life is controlled by the disease. We bow to the demands of our disease. The illness makes decisions for us. He has no, this alcoholic husband, has no ability to stop when he'd like to stop because he's serving a master, and that master is called alcoholism. And there's no freedom in the disease of alcoholism, and there's no ability to push alcoholism around alcoholism pushes the alcoholic around just like compulsive overeating pushes us around we always have to pay the piper we are the slave the disease is the master you know so for for a long time in the process of my compulsive overeating i believe that you know i was having a good time that food was my friend that it was my comforter 
to eat because eating produced a drug state that I confused with peace. But I couldn't hold on to that feeling because the disease kept taking me under. Because the disease pushes us around. Controlled drinking doesn't work for alcoholics. The, the alcoholic can't say when he's going to stop. Alcoholics can't drink and they can't not drink. Because while they can drink sensibly on occasion, they can't do so consistently. That's the disease of alcoholism. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Why don't Hi, we... this is Penny C. Ooh, Penny, go ahead. Hi. Um, as we're talking, I'm, I'm um, thinking about this sentence, he enjoys drinking. When I look at my own history of compulsive overeating, I can't, I can't ever remember enjoying, enjoying the eating. I, it was always from the time I was, that I have a memory from the time I was a little girl, um, once I'd start eating, I, I, I inherently knew that it wasn't going to end well, that I was going to feel sick, that, that I was going to feel guilty because I'd eaten, as I did in one case, two full loaves of raisin bread, and I had to hide it from my mom that I had eaten them and, and you know, and let the bread man, um, you know, absorb the cost of that because I said, no, I guess they hadn't been delivered. So I never, never remember enjoying eating. In fact, it was more that I I was aware in some way that I was trying to fill up a hole. And, and that, that incessant, incessant feeling that there was this emptiness inside of me that I needed to fill, and I was constantly looking for the right food that was going to do that. And it wasn't until I got to OA and I realized that this was a spiritual malady and I needed a spiritual solution. And that hole I felt that I was trying to fill up with food was the the need for 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 spirituality the need for for a higher power and and that's that's the reason i ate and as all this morning as we're talking i keep realizing that i knew that i knew that from the time i was a preschooler i'm sure i did that i was trying to fill a hole but i didn't know you know what or how to do that until i got to oa and started on the road, road to spirituality that I have today. With that, I pass. Thank you, Penny. Is there anyone else who'd like to share before we close the meeting? We will plan on picking up where we left off tomorrow morning, so please join us. Tomorrow, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Paula, would you please read a vision for you? This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to us, to you and to us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.